Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Well, it's great to be with you again. I, uh, I told the first service that uh, I know that my namesake, Mitch Tidwell, was here last week, so you get two Mitches in a row. A great guy, uh, love him to death, and I know he did a great job, and I'm just so grateful I'm following Mitch, and, uh, uh, and not the guy that preached the week before. Do y'all remember who that was? Who was it? Richard Taylor? Yeah, you remember Richard Taylor, right? So uh, I remember I put together an evangelism conference for our association one year and, and had the director of evangelism for our state convention preach the keynote sermon at the end, but he preached right after a, a black pastor from San Antonio, and he came up to me after that. He said, if you ever put me after that guy again, I'll kill you, you know. <laughs> so uh, I love Richard to death. He is a great, great preacher and a great evangelist, and I know that he has been blessing you in the days that he's been with you. I want to thank you for your participation in the cooperative program. Uh, we just had our annual meeting uh, up in Austin two weeks ago, and uh, we were privileged to be able to meet uh, not virtually, but together, actually in person. Uh, your convention met, and we look forward to and uh, talked about and planned and celebrated what God's going to be doing with us in 2021. We thank you for being a part of it. But I didn't come to talk to you today about the convention. Uh, I came to talk to you today about Jesus. Amen? Uh, Thanksgiving is this weekend, and, or this coming week. And, uh, and it, as I thought about coming here, and, and I thought, you know, how do we celebrate Thanksgiving in 2020? Uh, my wife and I love to scuba dive, and uh, we were going to Cozumel on our vacation. We go there every year, usually in July, and, and oh, about a year ago, we started planning our trip for July of this year. Along came COVID, and uh, we didn't get to go, canceled it out. As a matter of fact, our 50th wedding anniversary was in June, and uh, our kids uh, were wanting to plan a celebration, wanting to take us on a little trip and do some things with us, and, and we didn't get to go because of the COVID, so we basically didn't get to celebrate our anniversary any way that uh, we had sort of anticipated, we went and played golf a couple of times, and that was about it. And uh, so we were headed down to Cozumel, and first thing that we found out was our our flight coming home. Uh, we we normally fly from Austin up to Dallas, Dallas to Cozumel, back the same way. Our trip home uh, got changed, and we were going to get the privilege of flying through Miami. Uh, on the way back. So instead of a three-hour flight, we were going to have a total of about a six- or seven-hour flight. So uh, for those of us who don't really like to fly a whole lot, that's uh, that was a blessing in itself. But the whole trip got moved from July to October. We didn't know if we were going to get to go in October, but it turned out that we did. So we left uh, on our little short flight from Austin up to Dallas, and I don't know how American Airlines does it, 
but they can take a 45-minute trip from Austin to Dallas and make it an hour plus late. So we were over an hour late getting into Dallas, and then when we got there, uh, you know, we were told, well, it wasn't our fault you were late. And we're like, well, whose fault was it then? It's, you know, American Airlines, uh, this is your flight, right? Well, it's not our fault because there were just so many flights coming into Dallas-Fort Worth that we couldn't land. You know, during the COVID-19 shutdown of everything, all of these flights, yeah, coming into Dallas, that makes a lot of sense, right? We get on, we land, we start up to the gate, and then the pilot comes on and tells us, uh, we're not going to be able to go into the gate that we were supposed to go into. Our gate's been changed from like 24 down to gate 3, and we can't get into the gate because we don't have a ground crew there. Okay, whose fault is this now? So we wait on the tarmac for a while before we get in, and you guessed it, when we finally got into the airport and we got down to our connecting flight, it had left about five minutes before we got there. This is on Monday. We're supposed to be in Cozumel at 3 o'clock, uh, and we have 7.30 uh, dives lined up already for the next day for Tuesday morning. So we're like, how in the world are we going to get to Cozumel? After waiting about an hour to the customer service desk, we get up there, and the lady says, well, no problem. We can accommodate you on the next flight to Cozumel. Okay, when is that? Well, that's Thursday. I'm like, lady, this won't work. You know, we've, we've got to get there today. This is our vacation. We've got, you know, hotel paid for. We've got everything done. We need to get there. So she said, well, the best we can do, we can get you on a flight to Cancun. And uh, so we said, okay, get us to Cancun. Somehow we'll get there. I don't know if you know anything about that area of Mexico, but Cancun's on the mainland. Cozumel's an island. So if you land over here, you got to swim a long way to get over there, right? Uh, now we're going scuba diving, but not that way. So our daughter uh, that lives up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we got a hold of her before we got on the airplane, and we said, get on the phone and try to make us a land connection for Cancun to Playa del Carmen so we can get on the ferry to go to Cozumel. So about the only thing that worked out was our daughter made that connection. And when we landed in Cancun, we had a, a man waiting on us with a vehicle to take us to Playa del Carmen about a 40-minute drive down the coast. So we drove down there, got down there, uh, hoping to get on the 8 o'clock ferry to go across. And it left about 5 or 10 minutes before we arrived. So we said, when's the next ferry? They said, well, you're lucky. The last ferry of the day runs at 10 o'clock. So we got on the 10 o'clock ferry. Now, we hadn't had anything to eat all day except some uh, chicken salad sandwiches that we had packed before we left. And I want to tell you, do you know what a chicken salad sandwich looks like seven hours after it's put on the bread? <laughs> so we were not in really good shape. We were not very happy. Uh, we, we were glad we were out of the States, that we were down there safe, but we were not very happy. We got to the ferry thing. There's no place to eat. I went to a little grocery store, bought some potato chips, two bottles of water, and, uh, and we waited on the ferry. We finally got to Cozumel about 1130 at night, and by the time we got to bed, it was 1 or 1.30 in the morning. That's the way our first day was on our vacation, right? So the next day, we get up, and we go on the boat. We go out to dive. The area there is, is a beautiful area. It's usually calm, usually no problem. This was the roughest sea I have ever seen. We've been diving down there for about 17 years. I've never seen it this rough before. We go out, get on our first dive. Of course, when you go underwater, the 
what's, what's happening on the surface doesn't bother you. So we had beautiful dive. But we came up, and, and we were a little bit separated when we came up because of the current and the waves and things. And so I'm bobbing over here, and Reva and our dive master are bobbing over here. We're probably 100 yards apart. We can see each other, no danger or anything like that. But we're, we're up there on top, and we're just bobbing, waiting on the boat. Well, sure enough, the boat goes to pick up some other people that were diving with us. And then they come and pick up Reva and the dive master, and I'm the last one to get picked up, like 20 minutes after hitting the surface. I get seasick. I'm bobbing up and down in three-foot waves. I am getting sicker and sicker and sicker. I get up on the boat, and you have a, what's called a surface interval where you have to wait about an hour and a half. And so our, our little captain, instead of putting the boat in gear and just sort of idling into the waves, he just let it sit there and go like this. Well, I'm not going to tell you what happened, okay? But it wasn't pretty, and I was not feeling well. Reva went on the second day dive of the, by herself with the other people. I stayed on the boat. I didn't even do my second dive. Such was the second day of our vacation, okay? Third day of our vacation. It was beautiful. The sea looked like this carpet. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. We went two days like that, had beautiful dives, great dives. We had a couple of other days of great diving, and then along came a lady name is Zeta. How many of you know who Zeta is? Okay. She's not Harvey, okay, but she's like Harvey in many ways. She was a tropical wave when we arrived at Cozumel. Sometime in those first four days, she turned to a tropical storm, but on that fifth day, she turned into a hurricane and she headed straight for Cozumel. They closed the ports and that was the end of our diving for the week. But what we did is we got to check off, you know, that box on our bucket list that says ride through a hurricane. Now, y'all went through Harvey. You don't have any sympathy for me. I understand. This was a category one. But to us, it was just a hurricane, right? And we rode it out on an island in Cozumel. And that was our vacation. We, uh, we came back through Miami and got home safely, and so we're here today, safe and sound, and that's good. But you know, we were talking after that, and, and all of the things that happened on this vacation, that everything that went wrong, that could go wrong, seemed to have gone wrong. And we looked at each other, and we both came to the same conclusion. Hey, it's 2020, isn't it? What do you expect, Right? How many of you are ready for 2020 to be over with? I am. Let's get it behind us, you know. You know, I think if Jesus was here, he would say, get thee behind me, Satan, you know. Get out of here. We don't want you anymore. And so Thanksgiving is here, and when you look back on 2020 and, and where we are and where we've come, we're in the midst of a pandemic. They're talking about shutting everything down a second time, and we've been through an election that's got all kinds of you know, ramifications to it and turmoil surrounding it and everything. And so how in the world do we celebrate Thanksgiving in 2020? Well, I'm going to help us understand that. And we're going to look into the little book of Jude, if you have your Bible. If you don't know where Jude is, it's only one chapter long, 25 verses. Go to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and then, and then turn backwards. If you've got your if you got your Bible on your cell phone or your iPad or whatever, just type in Jude and it'll take you right there. 
We're going to begin looking at the very end of the, the book, uh, looking in verse 17 to begin with. Because Jude, the whole book of Jude is written to the church, and it, and it talks about problems in the church. It, it talks about apostasy in the church. It talks about the fact that there are in the church these people that look like Christians, they talk like Christians, they act like Christians. If we were to identify them, we would identify them as a fellow Christian. But an but, but in a, in apostate is a person that, that when things begin to sort of go in the wrong direction or some issue comes up in the church, they're always against it. They're, they're the, what we, sometimes we call the troublemakers. And the whole book is talking about this. Jude is saying within the church, you're going to have these people in your church. Now, I'm not saying that you have apostates in your church, but I'm saying if you're like the normal Southern Baptist church in America, there are apostates within the fellowship. There are people that look like Christians, talk like Christians, identify as Christians. You see them as Christians until something goes wrong. And then when something sort of starts going wrong, they're the ones who rise up and try to cause division and dissension in the church. Have you ever known anybody like that? And that's who Jude is talking about here. Now, there's, there's more than one way to apply this. We're looking at the church, and, and I, in the, in the role that I play when the, in the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, I work with churches all over South Texas that are going through times of transition, times of problems, and you know, you know, like you are right now, you're in a time of transition. Your pastor left, what a great pastor. He served you for many, many years, and you blessed him even before he left. I mean, I, I know you gave him this wonderful trip that he got seasick on and, and, uh, and everything, and he, came, and he came back, and God called him somewhere else, and, and those things hurt. Now, I appreciate it because he serves as the director of missions in my area now. I get to work real closely with him. He's doing a great, great job. Y'all trained him right, okay? Uh, but, but, pardon me, but now you're in a time of transition. And I know when I left my church, I, I pastored the same church for 20 years, and I thought everything was smooth, everything was good. It was just going to be an easy transition. And within weeks after I left, there rose up in my church some people who wanted power. You know, uh, they, they wanted things their way instead of God's way, and it, and it caused problems. It caused division, and people started leaving the church and things. I hope that's not happening in your church, but it could be. That's what apostasy is in the church. I was reading an article this week uh, concerning the things that are going on in our political world here in America. Have you all noticed that there are things going on in our world politically that, that are in the news every day? And uh, this article talked about the apostasy in our government, the apostasy in our uh, House of Representatives, in our Senate, people who say they're Americans and that they're for America, and yet they're coming in and trying to introduce some foreign things, some things that don't make any sense to the republic form of government that we have. And, and they use the word apostasy. And and that they were apostates in our government. Is that possible? Well, yeah, it's possible. So it's possible in, in our civil life. It's possible in our church life. And Jude, though he's addressing uh, the church itself, uh, there's far-reaching application to this that I want us to look at today. And we're going to start in verse 17. If you have your Bibles open, he says this. He says, Dear friends, 
Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, and they do not have the Spirit. You see, what he's saying is don't be surprised when this happens in your church. Don't be surprised when it happens in your denomination. You know, we as Southern Baptists, we're, pretty, we're known pretty much in the world for fighting with each other. Have you ever known that? That's a terrible thing to be. But it's because of apostasy within. And, and even the disciples so many years ago talked about it would happen. Why are we surprised that it happens? Because you see, Satan is alive and well, and Satan is working in the world that we live in, and Satan is working in our churches as well. He says, he says to us, remember what they told you. They told you that in the last times there will be scoffers. They'll follow their own ungodly desires. These men will divide you and they will follow their mere natural instincts because they don't have the spirit. What he's saying is that these people are going to try to cause division. Don't be surprised. Satan is at work. These people who are like that, they claim to be Christians, but there's no evidence that Christ is in their life. There's no evidence that, that Jesus is working and moving in their life. If they were, they wouldn't be causing dissension. God calls us to have a spirit of unity, not a spirit of dissension. I, I want you to notice if you go and you look at the spiritual gifts that God gives to his people you will not see the spirit of dissension in there. There's not a spiritual gift called that. But I want to tell you, I have seen people in my own church who had that spiritual gift. It wasn't of God. It was of Satan. They were just people who divide. Don't be surprised. It says that's going to happen. So in 2020, why should we be surprised at all of the things that are happening? Yeah, there are things that are happening that we haven't seen before. My, my personal doctor told me just a few weeks ago, he said, Mitch, there is no medical reason for us to be doing what we're doing in America right now. Medically, it doesn't make sense. He said, I'm not a politician, I'm a doctor, so I can only speak medically. He said, but never in the history of medicine have we tested well people for viruses and then told them you're sick, go home and isolate yourself from the sick people. We've never done it before. Things are crazy. We're doing things different. And yeah, it sort of surprises us, but the fact that these things are happening, the fact that there are pandemics in our world, the fact that people are, are dying from drug overdoses like never before in America, those things shouldn't surprise us. The fact that, that uh, America is divided politically it should not surprise us. America has been divided before politically. As a matter of fact, America has been divided at least as bad as we're divided right now before. Did you know that in our history? And right now we've got, you know, the Republicans are mad at the Democrats because they say the Democrats are cheating. The Democrats are mad at the Re Republicans because they say the Republicans are trying to cheat and change the vote and won't accept it. And the people who aren't either one, they're mad at everybody. And so here we are, and you can't believe the news media about anything. Well, I want to tell you, don't be surprised. We live in a fallen world. The Bible tells us that people of darkness live like people 
of darkness. Why do people act like heathens? Because they're heathen, right? Why do people in the church sometimes act like lost people? Well, he tells us right here because they do not have the spirit because they're lost. But Brother Mitch, they're in the church. But Brother Mitch, they hold a position. They're on a, they're on a committee. I'm going to tell you, I've got a friend. I didn't share this with the other group this morning, but I've got a friend who pastored a church not too far from our home. He came there as pastor. It's been several years ago, and he said the, that God led him to, to preach the first three years he was there. Every Sunday morning, he preached an evangelistic sermon. He didn't preach, you know, sermons of consecration or different kinds of sermons. He preached evangelistic sermons, calling people to Christ. He said, the first three years I was there, I had 13 deacons got saved. You see, there are apostates in the church. He said, I want to tell you, when 13 of your 20 deacons get saved, it changes your church. There are people in our churches today who look like, sound like, talk like, and say that they're Christians, but they're lost. And that's why when things get tough, they act like lost people. And that's exactly what Jude is saying here. He says they follow their mere natural instincts. They follow the ways of the world. They're there to divide us. Satan brings them into our church. He brings them into our nation to divide us. Verse 20, what do we do about it? Look at what he says. He says, but you. Those are important words. Two three-letter words, but you. Now listen to the context here. Jude is saying, remember that the apostles told you it's going to be like this, and it's bad, and it may get worse, but you. He didn't say, but the church. He said, but you. And so now he's talking specifically to me as I read the Bible, as I study the Bible, I've got to make it personal because he says, but you, I could say, but you, Mitch. He says, but you, dear friends. He says, but you build yourselves up in your most holy faith. So what are you to do in times like this? You are to build yourself up. God doesn't call you to build your neighbor up or to build your friend up. He doesn't even call you to build your Sunday school class up if you're a teacher in a Sunday school class. Now, you ought to be an example to them, but your example to them is that you build yourself up so they will know how to build themselves up. Are you with me? So if you're a Christian and you're going through a difficult time understanding what's going on, you build yourself up. How do you do it? You build yourself up, first of all, in your faith. What's he talking about there? Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You build yourself up in your faith. And I believe the way that we do that or the way we begin to do that is we go back to the day of our salvation. Do you remember the day you were saved? Sure you do. You may not remember the date or the time, but you remember the event. Today is November the 22nd, right? What happened on this day? It was a big event in the life of America. 
President John F. Kennedy was killed. If you were alive on that day, you know where you were when you heard the news. You remember it. You can't get away from it. 9-11 happened. You know where you were when you heard the news that 9-11 was taking place. And when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and he comes into your heart and he changes you and he gives you new life in Jesus, you remember that it happened. You may not know the date or the hour or, or even maybe the place, but you remember the event. I was 10 years old. First Baptist Church, Arlington, Texas. Homer Martinez was preaching. I don't remember a word he said. But I remember God speaking to my heart as a 10-year-old boy calling me to Jesus. And I don't know why, but I remember the song that was sung as a hymn of invitation that day by Steve Taylor, the music evangelist. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others. He'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It's no secret what God will do. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now, I haven't lived for him every day of my life. I'm not perfect in any way. Don't claim to be. I'm far from it. But I'll tell you what, I've, I know that I'm forgiven. And I know that heaven is my home. And that's what he says, go back to your roots. Go back to your faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And the third thing is you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. That's what he gave me when I was 10 years old is that hope for eternal life. So when things are falling apart, when things are happening, what do we do? We build ourselves up in our faith. We remember our roots. We pray in the Holy Spirit. We ask God to help us through it. We ask him to walk with us, to, to carry us through. When we can't carry ourselves, we have to depend upon him. And we need to fall on our face before God and pray. If there's anything lacking in our churches today, it is prayer. There were times in the life of Baptist churches that Baptist people came together to pray. Not to have fellowship food on Wednesday night, not to have a Bible study on Wednesday night. We came together on Wednesday night to pray. We prayed for people who were lost. We prayed for them by name. We weren't ashamed to share the names of our friends and neighbors who were lost and ask other people, will you pray with me for my buddy? Will you pray with me for my girlfriend? Will you pray with me for my son or my daughter? They are lost. They need to know Jesus. And we prayed for them and we saw miraculous things happen in those days. We don't pray like that anymore. Jude said, when things are falling apart, when you're in a time of transition in your church, what do you do? You remember, first of all, that you were God's child, that he saved you, that your faith, that was a sign of a grain of mustard seed, it needs to be growing. You remember that, and then you begin to pray in the Holy Spirit of God that things will change, that God will intercede, that God will come in, and that things will change. And if he doesn't change the world, that he'll change you to live in the world as it looks today. God needs people that look like Jesus in his world today more than ever before. That's you and me. And then he says, wait. Wait upon the mercy of the Lord to bring you eternal life. You know, I think there are a lot of us today, and I, I'm one of these, I have to admit. Sometimes I, I, want, I want America to look like heaven. 
Now, I want everybody to get along. I want all of the mess to go away, and I just want us to have a great life together. I don't want it to be like, you know, Tuesday morning in Cozumel with the waves going up and down. I want it to be like Wednesday and Thursday where it's just smooth sailing. That's what I want. But sometimes God says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And heaven is your home. And you're just here for a little while. So you just encourage yourself. You work on yourself. You build yourself up in your faith. You pray. You do what God's called you to do. And you look forward to heaven. There will be no pandemic in heaven. Okay? All of the old will pass away. But Lord, what about these? I'll use the old Texas term. What about these Hanyaks, Lord? that are causing all the trouble? What about these numbskulls that are burning down our cities and looting our businesses? What about those idiots, Lord? What about these people in our church, Lord, that come in and they want to just, they just want to mess everything up? The church has been going smooth, and, and now, Lord, we're having these problems. These people are coming in. What, what do we do about them? Look at what he says in verse 22. Now, he's talking to me. He's talking to you, right? He says, but you, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. And to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. What are you saying in, in troubled times, in times like we're going through right now? What are we to do? We're to be merciful. We're to snatch them from the fire. In other words, we're to share the gospel with them. Jesus has died for every person on the face of this earth. No matter the color of their skin, no matter the language that they speak, no matter the faith that they may be today or the lack of faith that they may have, no matter what their political persuasion may be, Jesus died for them just like he died for me. And Jude is reminding us, we have to be merciful to them. The late, great E.V. Hill, a great, great preacher. The Lord moved him from inner city Houston to the inner city of Los Angeles, California in the, in the 60s. Into, into Watts, the Watts section of Los Angeles. Some of you may remember, some of you may have studied it in history classes, the Watts riots of the late 60s and early 70s. God transferred E.V. Hill from Houston out there right before the Watts riots began. He was living in a high-rise apartment building up, up high in the apartment building. I think it was like the 8th, 10th floor, something like that. And the Watts riots broke out. And, and it, it had to do with uh, segregation. It had to do with uh, the guy that got killed by the police. A lot of things like are going on now. I mean, there's so much similarity if you study in history. And riots broke out. And the Watts area was a totally black area of San Antonio. White people just didn't live there back then. And, and, and they started looting the stores that were owned by their own people. They started burning the stores that were owned by their own people and, 
And, and Evie Hill, this great preacher, great man of God, couldn't get his mind around it. And he said that one day he was standing at the window and he looked down and he saw the fires burning the storefronts. He saw people smashing windows and taking TVs and all kinds of things out of them. He said he saw a group, a, a, a gang of uh, gang members down, literally raping a young lady in an intersection. He saw fire trucks coming in and snipers literally picking off the firemen off the fire trucks as they were coming in to try to help. The fire trucks had to turn around and leave. And he said as he stood there watching his community burn, watching his community fall apart, that he stood there and he literally shouted out to God, God, I don't know why you brought me here. God, let these people die and go to hell. Have you thought about that? In the last six or seven months, And E.V. Hill said the moment those words came out of his mouth, the Holy Spirit of God struck him to his knees. And he said, I can't tell you if it was audible or not, but I can tell you that God shouted back at me, E.V., E.V., those people are exactly the reason I brought you here because my son died for them just like he did for you. Boy, every time I think about what's going on in our world today, I think about E.V. Hill and that, and I think, you know, that's me. I don't like what's going on. I disagree with them. I think it's wrong. And there have been times when I have thought, if I have not said verbally to God, God, just let them go to hell. Why worry with them? And God said, Mitch, I sent my only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for those people. It's your job to take the gospel. God took me to Jude. And Jude says to me, hey, you yourself, but you be merciful and snatch them from the fire. Save them. And I say, God, why should I be merciful to them? And God says to me, because I've been merciful to you. That's why. You see, folks, what your church needs today, what your community needs today, what America needs today is Christian friends. People who look like, who talk like, and who love like Jesus Christ. He walked the Via de la Rosa and was nailed to the cross not for people who loved him but for those who didn't that was me and that was you and that was them show him mercy yes he says hating even the clothing that's stained by corruption and by corrupted flesh yeah we shouldn't love what's going on. We should hate what's happening. But we must love the people. And we must show them mercy. And we must share the gospel with them so that they can know the love and the grace of Almighty God that forgives all people 
who come to Christ in faith of all of their sin and cleanses them from all of their unrighteousness. That's what he did for me. Isn't that what he did for you? Do you remember the day that that happened for you? Go back there. Grow in your faith. So the question at the beginning was, how in the world do we celebrate and give thanks on Thanksgiving this year with all that's going on? Well, the whole book of Jude is written about the apostates and the apostasy that's taking place in the church. It's taking place in our world today, but he comes to verse 24, and look what he says. Through all of this mess, he says, but remember this, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, to him be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Do you get that last part? Oh, listen, that's Thanksgiving. That's Jews saying to God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. To him be glory and majesty through all of the mess, through all the apostasy, through me remembering about my faith, through me sharing my faith with other people, then to him be glory and honor and majesty forever and forever and forever. Jude says there's a way to have Thanksgiving this year. We've got Congress people who are saying there will be no Thanksgiving this year. They're saying if you can't have Thanksgiving at home because you can't gather together in your house. If more than six of you are going to be there, you've got to be outside. They're telling us all kinds of things. I want to tell you something, folks. Jude says wherever you are, whatever you're doing, give thanks, give praise to God, give Him the glory forever and forever and forever and nobody can tell you not to do it. You are his child. Go back to the day of salvation and say, that's when I nailed it down. Jesus came into my life. And because he forgave me, he can forgive anybody. And he wants to. And because he forgave me, I have a great desire to share with lost people that he can forgive them too. To God be the glory, right? You see, folks, Thanksgiving is a time that we have set apart, a special day as a nation to give thanks to the Lord. You know, we're the only nation that has Thanksgiving the way we do. Others have adopted a Thanksgiving day. Canada has a Thanksgiving day, but they adopted it, copied it after us. Thanksgiving is ours. It's our national holiday. There's not any politician that can take it away from us. It is ours. As a matter of fact, if you look at Scripture, 1 Thessalonians says this. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, he says, Be joyful always. Pray continuously and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No politician can change the will of God. 
my Bible says that it is God's will for us to give thanks in all circumstances of life. And that includes 2020. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. Because if you're not a Christian, quite honestly, I don't know how you're making it through this time. It is only with the Holy Spirit walking with me and giving me encouragement and, and, and enhancing my trust in him through my faith in him that I've been able to make it through these times. Even American Airlines couldn't do it. Because it's God's will for me and for you to give thanks in all circumstances of life. If you're not a Christian, would you give your life to Christ today? How do you do that, Brother Mitch? Very simply. You have to believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is. He's the Son of God. He came, he died on a cross in payment for your sin. You don't have to understand it. I can't explain it. It's a miracle. If it wasn't a miracle, it wouldn't mean anything. And if I could explain it, it wouldn't be a miracle. It's a God thing. God sent him. He died for you. He covered your sin. And he is willing to separate you as far from your sins as the east is from the west. That's what the Bible says. You very simply, in faith, have to believe that. Don't have to explain it. You have to trust God. And you go to God in a simple prayer of faith and you say to him something like this. Got to be your words, can't be mine. But basically, you just go to God and say, God, I don't understand all this, but I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. And I don't know how that works, but I'm asking you, with a little bit of faith that I have, a little bit of trust I've got, God, would you forgive me of my sin and come into my life? And I want to tell you, at that instant, God will forgive you. The Bible promises us that he is faithful and he is just and he is true and he will forgive us of all of our unrighteousness if we ask him. So you do that today, he will forgive you. Now there's some things you need to do after that you need to follow him in baptism. The baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is a picture of what's happened in your life, that your old life died and Christ has come in and given you a new life. Just like Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead. It's a verbal or it's a, it's a living picture of what's happened in your life. But this morning I'm asking you, would you give your life to Christ? Would you ask him to come into your heart? And then you can make it through. Christian friend, you know you're saved. You remember the day you were saved. Go back to that day today. And then ask yourself, am I living like a child of God? Or am I living like an apostate? You see, because an apostate never does anything that would really demonstrate that they are a child of God. And you say, well, Brother Mitch, well, I know people that sort of fit the mold that you're talking about, and they pray sometimes, and they do this. And no, you know, you know what a child of God does according to Scripture? How we know a person is saved? How, how do you know the person next to you is saved? It says, by their fruit, you will know them. 
In other words, as they share their faith with other people, we see their friends and their relatives coming to Jesus. So let me ask you this in closing. When was the last time that you led somebody to Jesus? Now, wait a minute, Brother Mitch. You, you quit preaching and started stomping on toes now. Well, you see, that's what a Christian does. They share their faith. And you're not responsible for whether a person receives Christ or rejects Christ. But what we need to understand is that when we share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, God is already working in their life and we're going to see people saved. When was the last time you led somebody to Jesus? Let me ask you a more important question than that. When was the last time you tried to lead somebody to Jesus? Because that's what a Christian does. And in times like these, we need a Savior. And it's up to us to have mercy on them, to snatch them from the fire. We do that by sharing Jesus with them. Would you bow your heads for just a moment?